James chapter 1. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. The series is titled Real Faith in Real Life. Did you notice we got new projectors? Um, that's really bright. And, and one person told me after, this, after we got these projectors and that picture came on and said, you're going to have to change that graphic because that gives me a headache. Or you're going to have to preach shorter, one of the two. So obviously going to have to change the graphic. That's the only option that I'm going to choose. But uh, yeah, Eli, we better, we better dole down that color or something. But um, anyway, excited about preaching through uh, the, book of the uh, book of James again this morning. We're going we're gonna to be in verses 19 through 25. I'm not going to read the text yet. We're going to work through it throughout the course of the sermon. But the title of the message is Navigating Safely Through the Trials of Life. We know that, that James was speaking to people that were being persecuted. And we'll talk about that in a moment. They were going through a trial. I believe chapter 1 sits in the context of the trial these people were going through. James is going to get more broad and cover more issues when we get to chapter 2. But I believe chapter 1 really sits in the context of their present circumstance. I started driving um, at least a car in the summer of 1998. After I got my learner's permit, I said driving a car because I wasn't a novice on the busy roads of liberal Kansas. I had been driving a moped without a helmet for over a year by the time I got my driver's license. You should be impressed. By the time I was 14, I was very familiar with the rush hour traffic of liberal Kansas. A lot of things have changed and evolved since I started driving a vehicle in 19. 98. I could talk about a lot of those things, but the thing that comes to mind because of our message today is the navigation technology. You know, when I first started driving and you wanted to go on the highway, you wanted to take a trip somewhere, you had to go buy one of these real thick books at Walmart, like a map. You guys know what I'm talking about? They're about yay tall, have a bunch of pages. And you never believe this. What I had to do was I had to take it home and I had to get a highlighter and I had to pick the highway I'm supposed to go on. I had to highlight the whole thing when I was a kid. <laughs> and, and, and then by the time I got to college, they had this really cool website called MapQuest. So you know how long I had to go, go to the, the checkout aisle of Walmart to buy your map. Now you could just go to Google and you could type in your destination and then you had to print it off. Unfortunately, you had to be near a printer in order to do it. So I did this a lot at hotels, you know, before we, we went home or whatever. I'd go to the hotel room and print this off and you had to do it before you left. And then you'd highlight the map again a lot of times. And then they got the GPS, the kind that sits on your dash. You know, if you had rich parents like mine, they had one of those. <laughs> and you'd have to type in, you know, you want to go to Albuquerque. You had to type in A, L, B. And that's as far as I got. I didn't know how to spell the rest of the word. <laughs> you couldn't speak to it. Now, all you got to do is talk to Siri. You know, you got, you got a phone. Siri, take me to San Francisco. And she'll take you to San Francisco. And that's an amazing technology. The, the unfortunate part about this is I've got to listen to a woman boss me around <laughs> the whole trip. That's a problem for me. It's a problem. It's persecution. That's suffering, modern day suffering. In all seriousness, imagine life and travel without navigation. I mean, even the map. We, imagine life without that kind of system. It would be confusing. Traveling would be hard. It, it, it would be slower. 
And I think that, that navigation technology ranks right up there with some of the most important advances in our society in the last half century or more. That's how important it is to our daily lives. But as important as a navigation system is to traveling safely down an interstate, it's just as important for Christians to have a navigation system for traveling safely through the most difficult times of their life. It's in the midst of trials and suffering and heartaches and disappointments that we tend to get the most lost. We tend to, tend to be most directionally challenged in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives, in our mental lives. We tend to be very directionally challenged whenever all the walls around us are, are closing in. Well, thankfully, we have an inspired navigation system. It's called God's Word. And through his word, we can safely be navigated through the trials of life. Remember, again, James is writing to a group of believers that got saved. They're, they're now Jewish Christians. And they were in the church when one of their members, Stephen, was, was executed on some trumped up charges. He was stoned to death. And they came for the rest of the church after they killed Stephen. And everybody had to scatter. And they left their neighborhoods. And they left their homes. They left their, their, their careers. They left their church. And they left their friends. And they uprooted their family. And now they're scattered everywhere. And, and they have to start all over. When James, their former pastor, heard about this, his heart went out to them. And, and so he writes at least this first chapter in part to, to encourage them through this transition. He tells them, first of all, count it all joy when you go through this trial. In other words, have this joyful anticipation about what God's going to do in your life. And should you wonder what he's doing in your life, he tells them next, just ask him. Ask God for wisdom to discern what he's up to and he'll give it to you. But then James warns them. There's going to be some point in your trial where it turns into a temptation. There's going to be some point when the pressure gets so intense in your life that this sinful desire that's been laying dormant in your heart is going to rise to the surface. And during the most difficult times of your life, you're going to be most tempted to do stupid stuff. And so he tells us how to resist those urges. You can listen to that message I preached two weeks ago. Now he ends the chapter by, by telling them how to navigate through their, their trial long term. He says, your trial's not going to go away. You are Jewish Christians. And so long as you're Jewish Christians and you're unashamed and you're bold about your faith, you will struggle with persecution probably the rest of your life or time on earth. The road ahead for them was going to be steep, sharp turns, bumpy roads. That means they needed something constant. They needed something unchanging. They needed something unwavering that they could go to to get direction every single day. And that's where the word of God comes in. That's what our text is about. It's going to show us the word of God's role in guiding us through our trials and what we have to do in both hearing it and doing it in order to arrive safely at our destination. Look at verses 19 through 21. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. If you want to navigate safely through the trials of life, here's what you got to do first. Hear the word of God. This is going to be a simple message today. Hear the word of God. James starts our text by saying this, let every man be swift to hear. You know what that phrase literally means? It means this, hurry up and listen. 
hurry up and listen. Now, why would James say that? Here's why. I think it's because listening is not usually something that comes very easy for us during a difficult time of life. When we have questions, we want to talk about them. When we've been betrayed, we want to talk about it. When we've been disappointed, we want to talk about it. When we've been angered, we want to talk about it. James said, here's what you need to do instead. You need to stop talking. And you need to start listening. That's why he said next, don't just be swift to hear, but be slow to speak. Be slow to wrath. Apparently what James saw in these Christians that he loved so much was more talking through their trial than listening through their trial. And worse, their quick words were coming from a place of internal anger and frustration and wrath with their difficult circumstances. I'm imagining a father of one of these Jewish families that got uprooted from his home and his career. He takes his family to, to a whole nother place and he starts all over again, which means he's got to find a new career. He's got to start a new business. He, 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 he's got he's to earn a new wage, a new job. I can imagine this man showing up and when they found out where he came from, they found out what church he's from, they found out that he converted to Christianity. I can imagine that they just instantly would just rip his application in half. I can imagine at the, very, at the very best they'd say, we'll hire you, but they weren't willing to pay him a fair wage in hopes that he would just walk away from the job opportunity. I can imagine that man just getting fed up with that. I can imagine that father thinking, I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to take care of my wife. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to put food on the table. Man, my, sins, my kids' sandals are, are wearing out. My wife's robe is wearing out. Man, I've got to do something to take care of my family. And so he would let them have it every time they would rip his application in half. He would go home and, and, and let his kids have it and let his wife have it and just complain. I can't get anything right now. I can't get hired anywhere. No one's given me a chance. Maybe as the mother hears that day in and day out, she starts to get overwhelmed herself. Maybe the mother's thinking, this isn't fair. My kids have to get acclimated to new surroundings. They get acclimated to a new neighborhood. They've got to meet new friends. Everything that was familiar to us just got swept away. We had no warning all we did was give our lives to Christ and now we have to go through this and I can just imagine the mom losing it sometimes. Lashing out. Crying. Everyone around her knew she was overwhelmed. She was irritable. She was short. Now the reason I can imagine this scenario is because I've seen it play out in my own life. When I'm going through a tough time, there seems to be this desire to vent. There seems to be this desire to lash out at those hurting me. There seems to be this desire to complain a lot about my circumstances or to even get frustrated with God. And maybe the same is true for you when it comes to trials. You are swift to speak. You are quick to anger. You are slow to listen. When you pray through your trial, maybe you're tempted to do all the talking. Get on your knees in prayer and you tell God everything you're going through and you insist that he make it all go away. And then you say amen. Or, or when you're talking with others about your difficulty, which is appropriate if you have friends that, that can bear that, those burdens with you, maybe you're tempted to do all the talking in that conversation. You use your friends only as a sounding board for your complaints and your frustration and everything that's less than ideal in your life and then the conversation is over. But James says that talking in anger and in frustration about your trial doesn't help anything. 
In fact, he makes a point. It makes matters worse. He said, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You can't do right. You can't think right. You can't respond right. You can't talk right when you're dealing with internal wrath about your present circumstances. That's why James is so adamant here about listening your way through trials instead of talking your way through trials. Because as you listen, this is not true. As you listen, you settle down. As you listen, you gain composure. In the context of James 1, as you listen, you become wise. James says, if you need to know what you need to know about going through a trial, if you need to know, here's what you do. You ask God for wisdom, verse 5. Look at what he says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. No wonder James says, be quiet. God wants to give us wisdom through his word for our trial when we ask in faith, but we don't receive wisdom by talking. We, receive, we don't receive wisdom by complaining. We don't receive wisdom by venting or lashing out. We receive wisdom when we open our Bibles, when we sit still, when we remain silent and hear what God has to say. So maybe after you tell God about all your problems in prayer, and by the way, you should. All you got to do is read the Psalms. Songs of lament. Tonight I'm going to be talking about how David wrote a song of lament in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Do you understand that, that we should lament more than we lament sometimes? Don't feel guilty about bearing your heart to God. Just don't stop there. Because you need to listen. And so say something like this. God, I told you everything that's on my heart. I, I've cast all my cares on you. I don't know what else to do but listen. And so as I sit here and I open your word, will you give me your wisdom and direction for my trial? Will you show me from your word what you're trying to do in my life right now? God, I'm all ears. Try that. Instead of telling your friends all your problems just for the sake of earning their pity, maybe you should tell them your problems for the purpose of soliciting their counsel and wisdom. After you tell your friends your problems, ask them something like this. Do you see anything in me that God may be trying to refine? You've heard my situation, you've heard my disappointment, you've heard my circumstance, and you've seen me, you know me. You, do you have any idea of what God may be up to in my life right now based on your, your knowledge of me? Is, is there anything about me that you see needs to be refined? And then just listen to what they have to say without objection. You might be surprised. James then elaborates in the next verse on what that posture of listening looks like for us, especially you have opportunities to take in the word of God, whether through a sermon or through our personal Bible reading time or, or even through a conversation with a godly friend. Look at verse 21 again. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. He said, here's what you need to do. When, 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 when you ask God for wisdom, when, when you have an opportunity to hear the word of God during your difficult season of life, here's what you need to do. Lay apart all Filthiness. When, when God is using his word, watch this church, to help you navigate through the trials of life, you're going to have to listen to it actively. Because there's something James calls filthiness and naughtiness that are going to be trying to distract you. Get this, follow me. As God's wisdom is, is trying to get into your heart and into your mind through your ears, these bullies are part of your sin nature. They're going to be constantly trying to distract you, kind of like, 
little kids do sometimes in church. There always seems to be one kid in children's church that's trying to distract everyone around him from hearing the entire message. Filthiness and naughtiness are a lot like that. They're bullies. And they don't want you to be guided safely through your trials by God's word. So they'll fight and they'll fight and they'll fight to distract you through it all. Whether it's during a sermon or during your personal Bible reading time or during a conversation with a godly friend leader that is speaking privately into your life. Watch this. Something inside of you is going to be rising up in defensiveness and objecting the truth that God is meant to help you. When this happens, no, it's filthiness. It's naughtiness. And James says, lay it apart. That's the phrase they would use to, to explain the process of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. Laying apart, you could just say, take it off. They would, they would, they would lay apart a dirty garment. They would put on a clean garment. It's active listening that James is after. You have to constantly be laying aside the fleshly objections that rise up within you as you're confronted with the truth. And then once you do, James gives us good news. You'll be able to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. Engrafted means to be born within. It means to have something planted inside of you. When, when you stop talking and, and you start listening without objection to God's word, watch here. The truth that you need for your trial will be planted in your heart. And as it's cultivated within you, it will bring forth fruit during the most difficult seasons of your life. So if you want to navigate safely through the trials of your life, you have to first be in a posture of hearing God's word without objection. Where you let his wisdom be planted in your heart and bring forth fruits of righteousness, good responses, good words, fruits of the spirit during the most barren seasons of your life. But it doesn't end there. James continues on with doing. Look at verses 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Watch here. James uses this illustration of a mirror to teach us what we sometimes do after hearing the word of God. What, what I would say preteen boys do about every day. They look into a mirror. They see that their hair is a mess, but they do nothing about it. They look into a mirror, see that they have ketchup on their face, and they do nothing about it. They look into a mirror, see a stain on their shirt. And do nothing about it. And if you're a parent of a preteen boy like I am, you just wonder sometimes, do they even look in the mirror at all? Sadly, this, this scenario isn't just a description of a preteen boy's relationship with a mirror. It's often the same story that could be told of our relationship with God's word. Through God's word, we see ourselves for who we are. It does not lie to us, just like a mirror doesn't lie to you. But you know what we do? We just walk away. Walk away. Stains all over our face. Or should I say our heart? And do nothing about it. God's wisdom through the Bible 
shows us how to navigate through our marital trials, but we do nothing about it. It shows us how to navigate through our financial trials, but we do nothing about it. It shows us how to navigate through our relational trials, but we do nothing about it. It shows us how to navigate through our trials at work, but we do nothing about it. It shows us how to navigate through our frustrating seasons of parenting, but we do nothing about it. And James says that as a result, we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves about who we really are. I think sometimes we do that because the truth is just too hard to hear sometimes. Sometimes we, we do that because our mind is already made up before we hear the truth. Sometimes we do that because we don't really like the person telling us the truth. Sometimes we do that because we've seen the same thing in the mirror every day for so long, we just stop caring. Sadly, when we do that, we become no better than a fifth grade boy who looks in the mirror, sees himself as a mess, but carries on with life as though he's never looked in the mirror in the first place. That explains why the people of God can hear the word of God, but never truly change. Christians can come to church every Sunday, hear the word preached and taught, but then walk out and totally betray Christian principles all week long. By the next Friday, it's like they, for, they forget everything they saw in the mirror on Sunday. On Saturday night, they forget it. Christians can come to church, or, or they can read their Bibles, rather, in the morning. Even every morning, pull a devotional out, read a devotional, grab a good thought, pray to the Lord. Yet nothing changes about their attitude at work 30 minutes later. Or their behavior toward their spouse that afternoon. Or their spending habits. Or their communication with their kids. See, for most Christians, watch here, there's an information surplus, but there's an application deficit. An information surplus, but an application deficit. We hear the word of God, we even know the word of God, but we don't act on the word of God. And some may be thinking, hold up. I'm here today. I, I'm literally got my Bible open. I'm taking notes. I've said amen once or twice. And that's good. But when you leave here today, are you going to put any of it to practice? See, what you hear on Sunday ought to change the way you live on Monday. Your Sundays ought to impact your Mondays. And if your Sundays aren't impacting your Mondays, that's a good indication that you are a hearer of the word only and not a doer of the word. Let me ask you today, what are you personally doing right now to make sure the word of God you hear makes a tangible difference in your life tomorrow? I'm talking about in this moment, what are you doing? What are you doing to make sure this Sunday impacts your Monday? What are you doing to not get distracted right now? What are you doing to stay awake right now? What are you doing to remember what I'm preaching right now? Like right now, I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about right now in this, this God-ordained moment. When you live in a free country and you get to hear God's word preached without fear of reprisal at all. 
You're sitting in a comfortable chair in a climate controlled room, enjoyed amazing worship. And now the word of life is open before you. What are you doing in this moment to make sure it impacts tomorrow? Can I give you a couple tips? Number one, expose yourself to God's word as much as possible. Now, I know this, this sounds like common sense. And we've already kind of went through the part of hearing the word. But to get practical, God's people really struggle sometimes even hearing the word when they're going through a trial. Sometimes church is the last place they want to be. Sometimes God's word collects a lot of dust during the trials of life. Can I, incur, can I, can I ask you, when is the last time, literally the, the last time you read your Bible at home on a Monday? When you, when you weren't relying on me to feed you. When's the last time you read your Bible on Monday? And we wonder why sometimes between Sundays we feel so lost. And we go back to Sunday and we get this emergency recharge. And then on Monday it's like, man, why don't I feel on Monday like I felt on Sunday? Why am I feel like I'm walking in the fog and walking in the dark? Because you haven't opened the, the lamp of God's word one time. It's a lamp under the feet of light under thy path. It, it, it's, like, it's like when you're going to be exposed to the sun on a hot day when the UV index is high. You know you're supposed to put on sunscreen. And sometimes if you're pale skinned, like three or four hours later, you've got to put on more sunscreen. The, the higher the exposure, the more protection you, you need. And the same is true for trials. The, the hotter the trial, the longer the trial the more exposed you are to a trial, the more protection from God's word, the more direction and guidance from God's word that you need. Expose yourself to God's word constantly. Here's a good start, a good starting point. Read your Bible tomorrow. And come back to church tonight. And then come back on Wednesday. I will not apologize for having a growth step that says evening services. Because I believe, and I don't believe in a legalistic way, I don't believe you have to come to an evening service to go to heaven. I don't even think you have to have an evening service to be a healthy church. But we do. And the reason we do is because we believe that the more you go, the more you grow. And you know that's true. You know that's true in finances. You know that's true in your health. And it's also true in your spiritual life. Expose yourself regularly to the word of God. Here's another one. Do something that'll help you remember God's word. You will only be as good at obeying God's word as you are at remembering God's word. Now, here's something that devastates every preacher and teacher. They, the statistics, statistics say, statistics say, that when pupils or students walk, or church members, walk out of a room after hearing a speech or a sermon, they literally forget 90% of what they heard the moment they walk out. That's defeating to me. <laughs> I spent hours on this thing. That means that 10% that you might remember, man, you need to tuck that away. You know, you know what I did for a lot of years when I was a staff member and I heard preaching on a regular basis and I wasn't the one preaching? You know what I tried to do? I tried to write down one statement from every sermon my dad preached. One statement. And I would take that with me through the week. One Sunday morning statement, Sunday night statement, and Wednesday night statement. I didn't try to sketch out the whole outline sometimes. I didn't try to retain 100% of what he said. When, when God gave me one thing, I wrote it down. You can write down more than that, but you, you should at least walk away with one thing from every preached sermon that you hear. 
And which leads to the next point. Put it up there because I forgot what it is. <laughs> Don't depend solely on the preacher for the application of God's word. I work, I work so hard throughout the week of, of trying to, to not just prepare the meal, but, but tell you how to eat it. Tell you how to live it. And I look at the demographics that I pray through in my prayer list every week. Different folks in our church. And I try to apply God's word to where we're living. There's no way I can hit everybody in one sermon. But every sermon does hit you. And you ask the Holy Spirit as I'm preaching. You say, Holy Spirit, apply this to my life. Holy Spirit, would you do your ministry? Because the preacher, he's hitting all around me. He's hitting all around me, but he hasn't hit the bullseye yet. Would you tell me what this is for in my life? Okay, what's the next one? Respond to God's word instantly. This is really, really good. Um, This is why we have what we call a time of response or invitation after every message that is preached. Just about. As it's appropriate, we ask for God's people to respond. The reason is because I believe that, that, that when you respond to God's word in the building, you'll have a better chance of living God's word out of the building. So respond instantly and you'll, you'll practice it more over time. Now, what does that look like? It might look like, it might look different for everybody. It could mean coming to an altar. And by the way, you don't come to an altar just to tell, your, tell God I'm sorry. So some people think, man, I'm not going to the altar. If it's not a personality thing, sometimes people think, I don't want people to think I'm a really bad sinner. Well, you're a really bad sinner. So, I mean, get over what people think of you, one thing. But, but sometimes it is that response. It's like, God, I just need to say I'm sorry. But other times it's like that one thing I wrote down made me thankful. And I need to come say, tell God, thank you. That's my instant response. And if you tell God, thank you right away, maybe you'll be more grateful through the week. If, you're, if you tell God, Lord, I confess that sin to you, you do that right away. Maybe you'll be more sensitive when you repeat that sin through the week. Maybe it's intercession. Something you wrote down was about somebody else you love in your life and you need to come to an altar and you need to pray for somebody else in your life. And maybe doing that right away is going to help you be more mindful of intercession throughout the week. Are you getting what I'm saying? If you're like, nope, not going to an altar, that's fine. It doesn't make you a better Christian if you do. It doesn't make you any more saved if you do. You need to understand that. It's just a, pra- a practical practice we give you. But you can do the same exact thing standing in your, at your chair. Same exact thing. And if that's, if that's what you think and believe is right, that's fine. The Holy Spirit isn't just up here. Holy Spirit's in you. And so where you are, where you are, every time, even if you don't escape the aisle and come down to an altar, wherever you are, respond to God instantly. Instantly. Now, let me give you one more. Trust in the promise of God's blessing for obeying his word. I love how James ends the text. He says, When you're a doer of the work, he says this, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You getting this? The reason why we don't practice God's word or act upon God's word, here's why sometimes, is because we don't trust that we're going to be better for it. It's exactly why Adam and Eve sinned. Because the devil convinced them that God was holding out on them. And they did not believe that there was blessing and obedience. They believed that life was better if they did things their way or this one thing their way. And when you're going through trials, your your sense of direction is really lost. 
And sometimes the last thing you want to hear, or I should say this way, the last thing you need to hear, or the first thing you need to hear is the last thing you want to hear in a trial. Did you get that? The first thing you need to hear is the last thing you want to hear in a trial. So when you hear it, that filthiness and superfluity of not as it rises up. And you're thinking to yourself, no, I, that contradicts what I thought was right. That contradicts what I feel like doing right now. I'm not going to follow that because I'm going to be shortchanged at the end of that decision. But listen to me. You are never shortchanged when you follow God's word, ever. Amen. Obedience always leads to blessing. Always. It's not always instant. But God promises, obey my word, I'll bless you. Trust that God is going to do what he said he would do. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't agree with it. Even when that filthiness inside you is objecting against the right choice. Do the right thing. Yes. And trust that a good God is going to bless you for it. Now, to close, help you remember this. All through the week. I don't want you to forget this when you walk out the door. All right. So remember this, you're going to look into a mirror probably every day. Okay. And some of you need to, <laughs> you're going to look into a mirror every day, all kinds of mirrors. You're going to look into the bathroom mirror. Um, you're going to look into a rear view mirror or a side mirror. Um, maybe a dressing room mirror. Uh, maybe you're going to look into a digital mirror when you pull your, your camera up and flip it on reverse or whatever that is. And you're going to take a selfie. You're going to see if you have anything in your teeth. Some of you ladies have those little makeup mirrors still. You do that thing and you're going to pull out and touch your makeup and you're going to look at it. Some of you are going to pull down that little visor in your car and you're going to look at that little mirror. You're going to look at a mirror multiple times this week. Every time you look in a mirror, pray this prayer. God, help me to hear and do your word today. Every time you look in a mirror, say, God, help me to hear and do your word. And I promise you, on the other side of doing is a blessing that God can't wait to pour out in your life. Stand to your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.